Welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a movie featuring a love triangle and tell you why the love chooser chose poorly. Or sometimes we watch really deeply, existentially sad movies that leave us all just feeling, well, we'll discuss it. I'm Jennifer. I am Samantha. (laughs) And I'm E.T., a.k.a. Sadie. And this week, we are discussing one of our Nora tier picks from Patreon called Spontaneous that came out in 2020 about teen love and spontaneous combustion. We did not discuss who is uh, summarizing this yet. E.T., are we tag teaming it? I feel like E.T. has lots to say. Well, I, uh, whatever. We'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, but I was, this movie made me so sad that I kind of had to clock out emotionally through a lot of it, but I can do my best to just kind of overarching uh, plot points because this is a 2020 movie. It's on Hulu. I believe it was released to Hulu. I could be, I could be lying about that, but uh, I haven't really heard anybody talk about it. But it stars Catherine Langford, who was in Knives Out. She played the shitty uh, daughter of Tony Collette, and then Charlie Plummer. Oh, yeah. Um, but I just now, wow! Suddenly, it became so clear in my mind. It's basically about this high school, Covington High, where. Uh, a girl spontaneously combusts. She explodes, kind of. Um, and Mara, who is one of the students that was in the class, was there. And we kind of, we follow her. That's Catherine Langford. And so it starts when, after she explodes, of course, the police detain them all, check for them. They think that it was like a, 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 a explosion type thing, but there was nothing on the girl's body. It didn't affect anyone else, whatever. Um, so they let them go. But before they do, Mara, when she's in the holding room with all of the other kids, including um, Dylan, who does have a crush on her and becomes her main love interest. She's like, she says something about how like, oh, we got to watch out. It probably is going to happen again. And then that really freaks everybody out. And like inexplicably, it absolutely does happen again. Um, I'm trying to remember all of the people that it happens to, but like it happens to a lot. uh, I think a total of like 30. There were like 31 of them by the end. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so she kind of, so after that, the first incident, um, all of the students at the school kind of adopt a um, carpe diem (laughs) type of thing. Uh, and so they kind of, you know, like, <laughs> you're only going to live for how long, right? And so the kid who had a crush on her, Dylan, played by Charlie Plummer, he uh, admits that he has a crush on her. They start dating. They kind of start to fall in love. Um, meanwhile, lots of kids are dropping like flies. And there's like people start to come in with hazmat suits. It kind of goes downhill. Um what else am I thinking of? Let's see. <laughs> Including two of her friends. Um, Let's the, see. I think they're twins. And they both explode, but one of them was driving. And so she has to climb up into the front seat and it wrecks. And there's just a comical amount of blood everywhere. And um, after this, Mara is kind of emotionally scarred. The kids realize that there is a... Um, oh, also there's like something that the 
I don't know who it is, the, the CDC or something. It's called a snooze button pill. And that does not go well the first time <laughs> around. And so a bunch of kids die after that. Um, And so Mara and Dylan just kind of go balls to the wall. They're like, we could die at literally any moment. Um, Let's see. Yeah, that was the point when they get abducted by the CDC by the hazmat people after yeah. their entire class, it turns out. So at the time when Mara and Dylan are doing said balls to the wall and like starting to make out and like really fall for each other they are this is all taking place within like a plastic tent where they are um, confined <laughs> by frightening governmental forces while the sad parents of the high schoolers wait outside to find out if any of their kids blew up today but it's YA so they're having cute little montage uh, parties in the tent yeah. with it is still music. very uh, rom-com vibe with some dark undercurrent at this point, but we still have some, lots of kids are blowing up, but uh, you know, Mara and Dylan's relationship is taking off. And also Mara's best friend hasn't blown up yet. So that's a bonus. And eventually they get released from this confinement because of the snooze button pill is developed as Sadie was saying, um, which seems like it's going to work for a little bit and they're going to get to go back to something resembling their normal lives after the deaths (laughs) of so many friends. But then in a dramatic scene when they are explaining how the snooze button works and a football player is trying to do the pat himself on the head, rub his tummy, jump up and down on one foot um, classic, he explodes, setting off a chain reaction of teen explosions. And uh, there's a panic and everybody runs out of the school and Mara makes it out the side and everything is... is, it's a weird, eerie moment of calm um, from the chaos she's just run out into. And Dylan runs out and uh, they're both there and they're alive and they've made it. And they're standing right in front of each other, looking into each other's eyes. And Dylan tells Mara that he loves her. And then he explodes. He explodes. Let's see. We don't should get all I, his blood right away, up? though. The screen just turns to red. <laughs> We all just needed to take a minute to take in the explosion of Dylan. Um, Mara does not cope well with this, obviously. She is staggering around town covered in his blood and she is injured where his jawbone hit her in the forehead. Um, She falls into a really dark place trying to cope with his loss and the trauma of it happening in front of and all over her. And um, she is uh, doing a lot of heavy underage drinking while all, all of the adults in her life sort of float around ineffectually, not really doing anything to attempt to enforce boundaries or, uh, you know, help her cope. And things are really dark and shitty um, for what felt like forever was probably like 10 to 20 minutes of movie, but it was so emotionally agonizing that it, I think Sadie will agree with me that this, portion took like five years to watch. Then finally, yeah. uh, the their senior graduating class has their prom slash graduation ceremony where the remaining kids, I guess, are going to just graduate. And get out of, yeah. I don't know. And they, I am Spartacus uh, being the cause of the, the yeah. popping. Because in their grief, they all feel like it's their fault that they're the Covington curse. Mara thinks that it's her fault because coincidentally she was just present at most of the explosions. So she thinks she's the connecting link. Uh, One kid thinks that they wanted to be top of the class and make straight A's so much that they mentally caused all their competition to explode. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah. Everybody feels shitty and thinks that they're at fault. Uh, Mara's best friend, whose uh, name I can't remember, who is Melody from season one of Riverdale, um, seems to have a strangely more well-adjusted attitude about all of this than everybody else and is going to get the fuck out of town because, as she says, she really needs her life to begin, even if it's not going to last very long. And they make their goodbyes. And Mara drunkenly goes out to Dylan's grave where the dirt is still very fresh and lays down on top of it. And then who should show up but Dylan's mom, uh, who has also lost Dylan's father some years before, so is not in a good way herself. She lays down in the grave dirt with Mara and they have a frank talk about how terrible things happen. And a lot of life sucks and is really bleak and sad and terrible to live through but what else are you going to do and um, why don't you come over for dinner next week so this inspires Mara to relatively get her shit back together um, she's gonna she gets Dylan's old ice cream did he have an ice cream truck what was that truck it wasn't it was an like ice a cream milk truck van. was it a milk van yeah some scary ass looking van that her parents are worried about but for some reason like don't check out the structural integrity of it themselves and she's taken off for a new life while she monologues at us about how everything is terrible and awful and we all die and that's why you've just got to live for today and Gen Z our society has forced them all to become complete nihilist just to get through the day is the takeaway or nihilist and I guess how are you supposed to pronounce that <laughs> and, that's, like- <laughs> and that's and that's or the wrap up of spontaneous 2020 Ka-boom. I am I am dying to know what Samantha thought of this movie because I know what Jen and I thought. Um, um but- I didn't like it, but I also thought it was doing some interesting things. There were moments in the beginning that reminded me of a film I really like that I think is dramatically overlooked, and that's World's Greatest Dad with Robin Williams. Have either of you seen that? No. No. It's a, I thought you uh, were going to say, like, Happy Death Day, and then no, you come at us with Robin Williams. No, Samantha, I have not seen it. It's kind of a dark comedy. Robin Williams plays like a high school English teacher. No one at the school really like gives a shit about him. He has a son who also goes to the school and his son accidentally kills himself via autoerotic asphyxiation. Um, And Robin Williams, uh, embarrassed of the cause of death, pens a fake suicide note for his son that then becomes like um, the subject of like performative grief at the school with all of the kids kind of being like, I knew like his son... His son was a poet and an artist, even though like none of them gave a shit about him when he was, you know, alive. And the movie explores like Robin Williams kind of like getting famous from that and then dealing, grappling with the lie. And it felt like there were moments in the start of it where they were going to kind of like play with the like grief around the poppings and that way in which like teenagers can't like really fully process grief and so have to like deflect it or hyper invest in it. It's kind of like hard to just sit with it. 
Um, but then like the core relationship started to set in and I just wanted both of them to explode because I found their banter <laughs> so, so annoying. I think the yeah. thing I found intriguing about it, and then I'll shut up, is I do like that it plays with, it's almost kind of like anti-narrative, you know? It's like, what if something just happened? You don't know why. You never find out why. And then it's over, um, which is a compelling thought experiment, but there's a reason why you have cinema follow act structures and have, you know, plotted character development. And it's because it leaves you feeling satisfied as opposed to this, which I guess maybe if its intention is to leave you feeling like you've just exploded into nothingness, then then good job. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and I see a Sadie hand. <laughs> Yeah, like, I feel like we never really, at least I didn't fully clock most of the characters as well. And I think if you're going to have a movie like this, I would like to have more of a, like, I understand who this person is, like, viscerally. And her, like, we, she's kind of like Miley Cyrus in the last song, where she's kind of a bad girl, but like in way in like ways that we never see. And so then it's like, okay, is she like, like what, what, who was she before this happened? And we don't really get any of that. And so like, I, I mean, of course, knowing everything about me, I was really sad by this movie. It, it, it struck the same like resonating sadness that Jennifer's body body does for me because I do not watch Jennifer's body if I have to, unless I absolutely have to because it makes me so sad and like lethargic for weeks afterward because I am only I am only powerful when I am watching rom-coms that make me happy um by the way I do have an article out on them.us <laughs> That Samantha lovingly pitched and edited that is all about uh, happy queer rom-coms that you can watch if you're not feeling um, explosive romances like this one. But like... I don't know. I was just kind of like, I don't understand the whole vibe. And also, Catherine Langford, as an aside, is just someone who never looks 100% normal as a blonde. And it was throwing me off the entire time. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I think that I could, I could agree with Samantha's first statement that I don't know if I can say that I liked this movie. I do think it was doing interesting things. I also, of course, agree with Sadie that this was an absolutely agonizing emotional experience. And for that reason, kind of low-key feel like this movie is a masterpiece in some ways. Not that I would ever really care to, to put myself through again, or that I am on the same resonance, you know, as particularly... But it seemed to me to be very successfully a teen movie, if that makes sense. Um, I'm not certain how old the leads were when they filmed this, but the guy especially looked refreshingly actually more like a teenager to me than, it, you know, like Riverdale that I was dropping earlier. By the way, 
that is wild that Melody from season one of Riverdale was is still like playing a teen convincingly because season one of Riverdale was like five years ago, right? Anyway, I did not even I think that, that she was from season I'm not one sure of Riverdale. If this movie kind of got overlooked pop culturally because it was released in the first year of the pandemic, or because it is just kind of a, a brutal. <laughs> Uh, conclusion in spite of the upbeat tone at the end. But I really do feel like this is effectively a teenage meditation on teen death and sort of how much of it there is right now uh, with gun violence and overdoses and... you know, that's a good point. Just violent harm and suicide and loss and and sort of the way I, I found it very striking because I'm I've reached the point where I'm closer to the parents' age now than I am to the teens in in the movie. At the way the parents were portrayed in this and all of the adult figures and just how ineffective they were, and that I think it really nailed that particular just absolute desolate feeling of high school that you're completely at the mercy of these ineffective adults when they get kidnapped and they're put in like the the camp to try to develop the snooze button and uh, you know, like, uh, and like Samantha was saying, just not even having the capacity to cope with grief like that when you're that age, but how much these kids are forced to do so anyway. I think some of the parts that really, uh, that irritated me a little bit, like Samantha was saying about the the banter between the two leads, I think that it kind of grated on my nerves a little bit because I am a 36 year old and it was so teenagery, like, a, you know, teens dreaming up sort of their ideal like if if their banter could go the way they thought would be really cool what it would sound like and ah i don't know anyway um to our um our patron uh ramey who suggested this movie i have to say when i first saw it for some reason i had it in my head that this was going to be a documentary about spontaneous combustion and i thought that's weird for this podcast, but okay. And then I thought it was going to be a horror movie. And then I thought it was going to be more of a, a, you know, kind of a darkly premised, but cute rom-com in the vein of warm bodies is sort of how the marketing looks like it would be for this. But it, it has a bit I of that, but thought. then it turns into a very real... <laughs> Yeah, like a really just absolutely devastating, um, you know, just sort of aimless meditation on teen grief. And like Samantha said, and, and pointed out at the point that where there's no conclusion, really, it's just that what happened is over and graduation happens. And now you have to go do something else with your life. <laughs> and I guess that it what really it, it, it was just too, too real emotionally in some ways. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm open to it capturing kind of big mood for today's youth who have been through two years of Zoom school, like amid a pandemic. And even if they are going to school in person, they have to worry about getting shot. You know, like I would not want to be a 17 year old today, for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm open to like teens vibing hard with this one um, and don't want to yuck their yum, uh, is us I elder like millennials would say. If I was 17 right now, like this could be the equivalent to like what Donnie Darko was to me in like 2003. 
Ah, I, but it needs a mournful cover of a classic uh, song <laughs> to really hit that spot. Well, so, they danced to wait. Bruce Springsteen in the barn, right? But it wasn't the mournful version. It was like an uplifting moment. <laughs> This movie, now that you mention Donnie Darko, and now that I'm marinating on that, there was a movie that came out in 2006. And I am going to preface a warning that this has kind of an intense uh, title about suicide uh, warning there. But the name of it is called Wrist Cutters, A Love Story. And it's like a romance, kind of, but it's set in, yeah, it's set in like an, on Wikipedia, it says it's set in an afterlife way station that have been reserved for people who have committed suicide. And um, it's like, so this guy, he uh, takes his own life and then he meets up with... I can't remember the plot. Like, I can't remember if he meets a girl also at the afterlife or like he meets something and it's a kind of a road trip movie, but like very bleak. And I think it was a very interesting rumination on like teen mental health in the early 2000s. And so I feel like this, in some ways, is kind of a spiritual successor of that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm the red string board is it's being created and connected as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm nodding along. Oh, but I think I I was really interested too in how it it I think also Sadie if I think you and I we could have if we had been able to be in the same physical space we would have been cringing identically on the couch together trying to get through the because you could tell from the beginning obviously it's already a really fucked up situation with a classmate exploding in a giant shower of blood in the room but our our main character Mara who we travel through this with is still relatively like obviously she's affected by this but it, there was just this pervasive sense of dread because you know as the viewer that the deaths are going to start coming closer and closer and more personal to her and that's exactly how it progresses you know she's still coping relatively well when her classmate she's not particularly close to dies when an, an other classmates that you know she's fond of casually but not particularly friends with die then her actual friends explode in that absolutely harrowing scene in the car oh that was traumatizing she's not coping as well and then when she loses the person who's closest to her she's left in such a state oh yeah where she just can't cope at all and um i found uh, i love piper parabo back from the coyote ugly days so i thought it was so interesting to see her as the mom in this and she has hardly any lines throughout the movie, but the the first thing that I even remember her saying was just like Samantha's point from a few minutes ago, where uh, the, the Mara is saying something like, well, at least you guys can't say that you had it so much harder now. And her mom just flatly says, no, you guys have it way worse. This sucks. This like The, the parents have no idea how to cope <laughs> either. And, oh, God, just the bleakness of it all. Yeah. I mean, I did, uh, on that note, I did, I don't know, like, there are moments in this that I'm like, wow, this really does capture a feeling. Like, when her dad gives her, like, a a vape or something, and she's, like, smoking weed with her parents, and she's like, is this what adulthood is like all the time? And they're kind of like, well, yeah. 
And there was something about the mood of that that felt really right of like, like adulthood really is just like, you're still a kid, but you're a kid who like pays taxes. And like, it means you can just like, smoke weed or eat chicken nuggets, like whenever, but it's still just kind of like sad and lonely and weird, just in and you different ways. Also pay the price for your privilege to be able to smoke weed now because you're worried about your child fucking exploding at school and there is nothing you can do about it. <laughs> I just wish Sadie, that it when you didn't were going have... to high school, did this feel similar, like resonant? Uh, no. <laughs> Well, I I think about this a lot. I just don't know if I Good. had a really unique experience of being in high school because first of all, I was homeschooled up to high school. So I didn't know anyone. And also there were only like, I was only, I only experienced two attempted bullying situations and I shut that down immediately. And then I was never bothered ever again. But there really wasn't any bullying at my school, honestly, because it was quite big. And I feel like, I don't know, I I feel like I hit high school at kind of the right time where it wasn't, I don't know. I'd like to see kind of some statistics of like the period where Instagram wasn't like social media wasn't big at all, really. But it was, I don't know. I feel like there was maybe a dip in bullying and I was right in that sweet spot. Um, and so I just kind you of were in high school during like that, like you were in high school during like Obama years, but before social media got huge, right? Yeah, I was in high school um, from twenty. So wait, no, I graduate. Wait, oh yeah, yeah, I graduated in twenty four twenty fourteen. I think I graduated in twenty fourteen. I can't be sure, but I think it was that. Um, and so I, I only like got a smartphone. My senior year and it was like kind of a shitty Nokia phone and then I got my first like serviceable phone in uh, freshman year of college but then I only started to use Twitter uh, junior year of college and so I was really just kind of out of it Um, so I I mean dare I say I had pretty smooth sailing in high school I was in goat club in high school I was an active participant of um, of like some (laughs) like like, literal in love I we would have I'm sure if it had been released at that time but we were it was literally just that we were fans of goats and I was also in like some literary clubs and I was in um some religions clubs and I don't know I was friends with a lot of Wiccans a large Wiccan community in Colombia and (laughs) I just kind of chilled but and I, I, you know, so I feel kind of at a disconnect with most high school movies, except for maybe to all the boys I've loved before, because even though that didn't happen to me, I feel like Laura Jean is very relatable to like who I was like, like what I was like in high school. Um, but this, besides the exploding stuff, or well, what am I trying to say? The exploding stuff I know is not relatable, but like in general, this is just, I I can't relate to this at all. I was not a cool girl. And I feel like Mara, the, the um, Catherine Langford's character in this movie was definitely a quote unquote cool girl, which is another reason why I didn't like it. 
because <laughs> they bother me <laughs> because I wasn't a cool girl. <laughs> it remind me of another movie of like a girl who falls in love with her stepbrother and then at the end they're like try to escape to Mexico and th- this is a hallucination <laughs> well, but it's a real movie I swear and <laughs> but it ends on a similarly manic note of this this one with her like driving away in the ice cream truck of just like and you've got to fucking go out there and show the world who's and it's like it do- it didn't really feel errand and it it feels like you kind of write yourself into a corner with some of these outsider characters where, where you've got to kind of bring them back into society somehow at the end. And um, you just kind of throw a Hail Mary pass from the 90 yard line. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like the ending felt like a little off to me. Like why, why should she prove that she's a badass if she still just feels like she's just going to explode? You know, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was manic was the word for it. And it came at the you know, after she was explaining that it was anticlimactic, that people just sort of stopped exploding. And now you have to carry on with your life. And I, I'm not sure uh, if you know, uh, like, I, apparently, this was based on a book. Um, so I'm not certain how the, the original narrative went or if it had that, like, if, if they wanted to tack something that felt kind of peppy and upbeat on the end of this <laughs> for the, for the movie. Um, but it did feel very strange, but I kind of worked it out in my mind that if you think this is like this manic, like starting to emerge from some of just the first absolutely catatonic phase of grief that she's been going through, uh, in her mind, but like, what's going to happen when she and her friend, like are in Moomoo's at that beach house like okay they're gonna go on vacation there for a week and then you just have to live your life like the the mom that she talked to with the grave like that was just devastating god <laughs> i suppose to the this was kind of an impossible task um Ramey, as far as the the purpose of this podcast the other guys because yes there is a the romance is an important element of this and that it the gives us friend, most of the though. moments of the yeah. best friend, obviously, obviously, is the other guy choice. And really who she, I mean, yeah. The best friend so is, this like, is like clearly in love with her. impossible uh, other guy choice of all time. Because, yeah, the way that it was structured was, I guess it has to be that way for the story that they wanted to tell. But it would have made much more sense if she would have been with the best friend. At the same time, the best friend didn't get to do much except, yeah, be in love with her and supportive of her, right? <laughs> I feel like I am going to, I'm going to play what is it Sweden I'm gonna play I'm gonna be Switzerland one of those s words um in that I think that the best friend Switzerland god a 50 50 shot and I failed um I think that (laughs) the best friend is obviously the choice of like person that she's going to eventually marry and fall in love with and whatever, whatever, because, you know, I love a a slow burn friends to lovers over the course of like 30 years. (laughs) That's my uh, shit. But (laughs) I think that her relationship with Dylan was very necessary for her eventual growth as a person. Again, I don't think that we get to know enough about her enough to really like form a solid like, okay, I have this person outlined. I know who she is. Because I think at the end of the day, she's just kind of a stand in for like girl who is going through this kind of thing. But like, absolutely. I think this is a concept movie. It's not a character's movie. Yeah. 
Um, which in general, I don't like them. So that's no surprise that I wasn't really vibing with this movie because I much prefer character driven plots. But I think that her relationship with Dylan was necessary because they were just kind of two people who found solace in one another. She hadn't really known him very long, especially not in like a romantic capacity. And so like his death did not hit her as hard as it would have if it had been her best friend dying. And so it was someone to attach to and form a deep connection with and then kind of learn how to then deal with that kind of grief and loss of losing someone romantically. Um, And so I think that that's kind of like her high school relationship experience, right? And then like she can go on and actually have a more long term relationship with uh, Tess with the best friend. Yeah, they'll yeah. be in that beach house for a while. They're smoking that hookah. They're wearing those absolutely fabulous moo-moos. Like, things could spark off more quickly between them than we had even anticipated. Shit. But yeah, I just couldn't. I guess because of the sense of dread that the movie left me with. The, I, I'm just thinking about the ending again. That, like, wildly, like, it, like Samantha was saying. it. You know, I don't want to make this comparison because I don't feel like this movie deserves that. I think that even though it's not necessarily my cup of tea, I think that it did some really interesting things and was well Mm -hmm. done. But this felt sort of, I know that's weird. What adjective should I use? I was going to say a more uh, emotionally truthful version of the kissing booth to me in many ways. Oh my God. Ah. How did the kissing booth end up in this conversation? Because of the ending where she's driving (laughs) off and doing that wild monologue about having to get out there and be a badass and stuff. Just sometimes Catherine Langford, the way she played this character would occasionally remind me of Joey King vibes. I get it. I I don't know, but like. Samantha's a hater, but I get (laughs) it. Can you imagine if they exploded in the kissing booth? (laughs) I would have loved it. (laughs) I I wish they had all exploded. (laughs) I wish they had exploded in the first five minutes and then the other three movies were just like uh, fish in an aquarium. Like... Please, Sadie, pick up this thread, though. I was going somewhere with that kissing booth comparison and now... (laughs) I just had a traumatic flashback to the the Mario Kart scene in the kissing booth three and lost whatever thought I was trying to to grasp. Well, I agree that it well, first of all, it did have kind of a weird tone overall that like the kissing booth also had, right? Because there would be moments where be like, this is meant for someone in elementary school. And then and the next beat, it would be like Jacob Elordi, like yeah. <laughs> hardcore having sex with <laughs> with Joe <laughs> on screen it's like okay well what what, what's the vibe here and so i think that connects really well with this movie and also just the sense of like there's something dark in this but none of the characters are truly acknowledging it in the way that they should and none of the characters are entirely acting the way that they should like after both of her friends the twins explode in the car 
And then he like brings her sweatpants or something. I can't remember what the situation, but he like brings her sweatpants and she's like, I'm not wearing this and blah, blah. I'm like, quite frankly, I would never speak again. Like I would, I, I would be too stunned (laughs) to see. I would be, I would have been blinded by trauma. Like I would, I would, you know, cause like there's that condition that some people can get where like they're so traumatized that they go blind. I, that would be me. I'm sorry. I would not be a functioning person. And she's making little quips. I'm sorry. If I were one of those twins, I would have come back from the dead and beaten the shit out of her. How disrespectful. Um, So yeah, I don't know if that made any more sense than what Jen was trying to say, but... She was still like covered with the gore of her friends' bodies at that moment when she's like, I'm not going to wear these sweatpants. And I was like, girl, well, you need to take off those pants you're wearing regardless of what you're going to do at this point. God, I also found there was another um, weird, the other thing that my brain kept trying to compare um, spontaneous to throughout watching. And I think it's because of the, well, because they're teen characters and because of the shrooms thing. In this movie, uh, Mara... Take, that that was actually really weird. Like uh, nothing about any of the like. Uh, this is about how like uh, anyway. One of the twins pre before they explode just like gives her some psychedelic shrooms after the funeral of the girl who first explodes, and she's just like, "Yeah, I'm getting like this is gonna be the ideal time to take shrooms." And like first of all, absolutely the fuck not. But I don't think anybody is like looking to this movie like. Uh, for guidance in that way. But so anyway, the shrooms thing and how it was portrayed in this movie and just the teens and grief and violence themes had me comparing this to yellow jackets a lot in my mind as well. Not this again. Take the name yellow jackets out of your mouth. (laughs) I can't stop thinking about yellow jackets and, um, yeah, I was kind of just having so, like imagining how characters in yellow jackets would vibe with the characters in this universe. And this was a much uh, they would eat them softer off. population. Yes. They would start <laughs> licking the blood off the floor. <laughs> I mean, it's almost it's it's one of those frustrating movies where like it is doing something interesting, so I want it to be better, but it just kind of like doesn't quite stick the landing which is always my fear for my own creative output. So <laughs> perhaps there's uncomfortable resonance here. But yeah, it's like there. It, I just felt like I was swinging wildly between like total cringe and then like extreme vibing. And and I felt just like, uh, like extreme whiplash by the time the experience was concluded. Because <laughs> in one second, I was like, Get this fucking <laughs> smug ass couple off my screen. And then the next yeah. moment I was like, wow, being alive really is just waiting to pop, isn't it? You know? <laughs> I feel like that really lent it like a very authentic teenage feeling vibe. But that, like Samantha, like you said, I'm not sure if that was on purpose or just, you know, like. Uh, <laughs> I don't, this was just a very confusing experience because I did find it very emotionally affecting. And, uh, you know, it drove a lot of thinking in my brain when I was walking around later. But I absolutely do not want to watch it again. <laughs> I don't know if that I would recommend it 
to anyone else. Yeah, it made me think of something else too. There's an episode of Community that's about the demands of storytelling and what it would look like if an episode didn't have a story (laughs) that it also kind of reminded me of a little bit. Um, And I guess in a way, and this is one of those, I'll take its own name out of my mouth thing. It did remind (laughs) me of uh, the Charlie Kaufman movie adaptation, which is so obsessed with what it means to tell a story that it like, um, yeah, but even that, like, in its very meta way ends up conforming to like a three act structure, ironically, and intentionally. So yeah, spontaneous really feels truly like what if nothing, (laughs) what if nothing happened, (laughs) but you were still watching a movie, which is why it's like, uh, it's kind of the perfect piece of media to speak to like the the teenage experience that it (laughs) it's trying to be about. I feel like we should have brought a 17 year old guest on the pod to quiz them about their thoughts on this movie. Never. I, I no, no, no disrespect. Do you know any seventeen-year-olds? Seventeen-year-olds, uh, <laughs> but I would sooner die than speak to one for an extended period of time. <gasps> I always feel so. Seventeen-year-olds, if you're listening, podcast, you can send but... angry TikTok dances to yssTOG <laughs> podcast at gmail.com if you know what email is. <laughs> Oh, I like I none of them. It's more insult to myself. But um, but my cousins, when I talk to them, they because they're in high school, and, and I feel like they are talking in an entirely new language to me. Like I am so out of touch with everything that they're saying, and they always look at me with that like like they're like uh, embarrassed, but. By what I'm saying, like, like I'm like a senile old woman, and they're just like, yeah, okay, grandma, come back to bed. And I'm like, no, like, I'm still in 20s. Why are you looking at me like that? I feel like the, um, the progression from when you are relevant and hip to when you are not relevant and hip, the age it's it's narrowing every single day. Like I I feel like if I like after one more year, like when I turn, I don't even know what age I am now. Actually, when I turn the age above what I am now, I feel like I'm just I'm going to be completely out of touch. Like, I, I, oh my god, it's shocking hearing you saying this, Sadie, because like you're ten years younger than me. Like I feel well, like I've been I, grappling with this in pandemic ice isolation because I felt like in the last two years like oh my god I literally don't know what anyone is talking about anymore and you're like 25 or something and you're feeling well, that which is wild I, to me I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that like well if I'm out of touch then people 10 years older than me are just out of orbit but I'm saying that like I feel as though the cutoff is getting lower like younger and younger you know like it used to be we're like you know you could like well into your late 20s or like I just feel like trends are happening so fast that like you become obsolete younger and younger (laughs) I don't know if if anyone else is feeling that I think that this excludes people who live in New York City or Los Angeles But but for the rest of us, we're on our own. Well, that's kind of never, never land zone <laughs> as it is. But yeah, I mean, I wonder if some of that desperate sense of urgency is because, 
you know, like being a teen today, you would kind of have this sense that you might pop like in this movie, like you, uh, and even if you live, like what, how, how much longer is, I mean, I know we're probably not going to go out and just like, everything's going to suddenly catch on fire from climate change, but things are going to get pretty miserable. I think there really is this kind of like nihilistic sense of, yeah, trying to burn the candle fast or, or whatever that maybe contributes to that overall cultural sense. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, um, as long as we're doing an episode that's nihilistic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I've been thinking about this a lot the past couple of years, because it's like, on top of the pandemic, like every year here in Seattle, it's like, oh, this is the two weeks of the summer where we have suffocating wildfire smoke to the point where like, I literally had to go stay in a hotel to breathe for like two nights in the middle of one stretch of it um or like oh here's the unexpected heat wave in a city where nothing has air conditioning because we supposedly have a temperate climate and it's just like like in the middle of like this global virus like dealing with you know admittedly very first world problems but still like a a massive shakeup in the way that you understand and approach like the act of being alive. And it's like, oh, this is uh, <laughs> this is just going to keep like getting more frequent, you know, like it will be two heat waves a year and a month of wildfire smoke, you know, like, um, so yeah, I, uh, if I'm feeling that at 35, I, I don't know how you can be 17 and be like really optimistic about having some bright future um yeah i feel like even the like we're gonna make robots that eat the ocean plastics moment is like past us now i think maybe that's kind of part of the reason why we have so many kids who are like 15 16 years old and they're like full-time influencers with like a ton of agents and all of this shit. And they're like, I gotta be like on the grind. And I am thinking about this because um, uh, Hannah Elliott and I made a unfortunate choice and watched the D'Amelio show on Hulu. And if you do not know who the D'Amelios are, because I really didn't, it's these two girls, they're uh, sisters, Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio. And Dixie is 19 and Charlie is 16, I believe. And Charlie went viral on TikTok for doing, she does just like those little like waist up TikTok dances and like really doesn't post much of anything that I would consider um, worth posting (laughs) or relevant to my life. Um, But she became really (laughs) famous. And so her family and her and her older sister, they packed up and moved from Connecticut to LA in this giant house. And she's like, I just felt like I wasn't able to really further my career. And now I have a full time job on top of doing school. And she has like these big um, like meetings with her brand manager and her agent and they're rolling out like lines with Hollister. And she has just like all of these binders set out for like what her 2022 is going to look like. And I'm like, oh, my God. First of all, the parents awful. And second of all, I guess being a kid is just like not an option anymore. 
Like she now essentially has like a full-time job and a career and she's in high school. And it's like, yeah, I can imagine you would want to feel that way because there's just this sense of like, got to start on it early if you want to have any chance of having a a comfortable life. And it's just a lot. And it was bleak. Yeah, I started watching the Netflix thing, Hype House or whatever, and then immediately like turned it off 20 minutes in. Because it it does like make me think about like kind of the harvesting of youth almost where like it there was something deeply sad to me about seeing these like 17, 18, 19 year olds who are like already aware at that age of like, we've got to be together and making the content now. It's what people want. If we're not like making it now, then like the, these are our years to get money. And it's like, oh, that kind of like makes me feel sad that you're 18 and you're like (laughs) we better have this nacho party tonight guys so that we can all make like tiktoks of our nacho party for our combined seven million followers um or else like i won't have enough money to pay the mortgage on the like house i'm hoping to buy in la or you know i don't know i'm i'm already imagining the cover story in like 2040 of a magazine about like what has happened to like all of these people who have been just like mined for a certain kind of like youthful spark and joie de vivre in their (laughs) eyes who are now kind of like I don't know doing infomercials um it's kind of terrifying too trying to mentally place myself in the uh position of like a regular teen now if there is such a thing that there definitely was this horrible like teen stardom when we were younger you know but we didn't really see the how the actual kids who were were the stars were such grist for the mill um, you know, you just saw sort of what was put out publicly and uh, and there's sort of an odd dichotomy now because, well, as adults, we see more of like I feel more aware of this about how much this would suck to be one of the D'Amelios and this terrible uh, growth stunting, awful life that they're in right now. But then like, there's also like an aspirational thing, like thinking that, you know, uh, you want to be like them so you could get money and be secure. And because they were, they were ostensibly just normal people who had TikTok too. So if they could do this, why can't you? And just like, I don't know, fucked up times, man. So is your hand still raised from before or do you have a new one? Yeah. We um we got a little bleak at <laughs> the end of this episode, final, but uh, to be fair, this this movie was quite bleak. So you have no one to blame but yourselves, yeah, <laughs> listeners. When you hear the the completed episode, I'm not sure if Samantha Software takes out the the pauses, but we have had several moments of just sitting in companionable doom silence, just contemplating <laughs> the fate of the world right now. <laughs> throughout this recording session. Yeah, I mean, to try to save us from full nihilism without going into a manic rant a la the end of Spontaneous, I guess I would say, like, my own approach to this is I think you can find meaning without futurism, you know? Like, um, and I think as a queer person, I feel like I have grappled with that. I am reasonably sure I will not have children in my life 
and that you know I am I am the uh, the terminus of one part of the bloodline like that's it boom and so like I don't know I I feel like this movie like I said before at the end it's still like you got to go out there and you've got to prove them wrong and you've got to go out and show that even despite the world being shitty like you can be amazing or something and that always to me maybe that felt more resonant when I was younger but as I get older that feels more hollow and I feel like I've found more joy and happiness and contentment and accepting that like yeah the the meaning is along the way the meaning is not ahead of you you know like like the meaning is sitting on the swings with your best friend it's not what happens after you like get in the ice cream truck and drive into the horizon um and that's sort of how I grapple with feeling like everything is over is just trying to think of uh, each day as like a, a site for experiences that uh, can can stick or or make me feel momentary glimpses of of joy and better things. Samantha, that was beautiful. And that's why whether you have kids who die in a shower of blood explosion or not, <laughs> um, <laughs> that psychologically you are already prepared to be the woman lying on the grave dirt helping the teenager stay alive for one more day. Yeah, I would I would do that. I'm not sure I would have my own children, but I'm sure I could I could help someone else's child want to stay alive for a little bit uh longer, I think. I don't know. Corey and I had talked all the time about like if if this is what's going on now, can you imagine like what uh, our child would be going through in like 2040? like wow so i don't know (laughs) i think also like there's this sense of sometimes people being like well it's too late so we're not gonna do anything but like a lot of scientists specifically with climate change i know there's other like other concerns like you know late stage capitalism which is like a larger thing but like a lot of scientists have said like it's not too late like there's plenty that can be done it just will require reworking of government stuff which is possible and so it's like it is attainable it'll just take work and like actually electing people and like not not like that we are it's not like on our shoulders entirely because there's many systemic things but like this sense that like it's too late isn't entirely true and so there are a lot of cool good things also happening in the world and like a lot of stuff and progress is being made in the field of like climate change and pollution that you just don't really get to see because I think social media especially is very negative skewed and so you don't really get to see a lot of the advancements being made and like maybe if we did see those advancements then we would be a little bit more inclined to I don't know seek more of those advancements but that's just my thought process as someone who has like 60 years left in their life roughly (laughs) oh man I feel bad for you I've only got like 35 probably (laughs) 
<laughs> Damn, you're gonna cut yourself already by like seventy, Samantha. I don't know. Isn't that the average lifespan in the U.S. is like seventy-two to well, my maternal grandmother crazy. lived to be one hundred, and I am expecting to fully match that. I mean, how quality <laughs> are those years at the end? You know, I don't know. You know, I can't think about it because I would uh, like. I feel like already it's just written in the cards that I am going to be living them anyway. So I I just got to putter around and make my little crafts, you know, that's what brings me joy. And I'm hoping it still will at age like 98 while I'm I'm getting to the last of my days. Yeah, you'll be in fucking <laughs> water world with Kevin Costner. Yeah. I'm going to have to learn how to do like macrame or something in water world. Out of seaweed. Um <laughs> Does this win as our most serious episode of You Should See the Other Guy to date? I I think it was probably... (laughs) We were primed and ready after the entire fiasco that it took to record that when we hopped in, we were immediately like, life is meaningless. Everyone sucks. (laughs) I suck. I'm so sad. I mean, I do feel like my mental state lately is such that if I encounter any minor obstacle, I'm like done for the day, you know, like, yeah, stub my toe on the way back from (laughs) checking the mail. I'm like, well, tonight, I'm just gonna lay on the couch and eat peanut M&Ms and like, watch seven movies in a row, because that sucked. Uh, Just resilience (laughs) at an all time. Well, Yeah. Do you all do you think it's winter that's doing it to us now? <laughs> I definitely think that's part of it. Yeah. Oh, it's you know, um the Omicron spike has really bummed me out because I'm I'm fully vaxxed and I'm boosted and I had felt comfortable enough um, being vaccinated back last autumn to be able to go and wear my mask and see some live music again. And that was amazing. And then I just know personally so many vaxxed and boosted people who are catching Omicron right now that it has made me more hesitant to go and do fun things where uh, my risk might be increased. Uh, and it just feels bleak because we're sort of, I, I, who knows what lap we're at. That's that's why when you're running a race that there's there's not a set endpoint you can see, it's difficult. And it occurs to me that we are coming up on our two-year anniversary of this podcast next month, you guys. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Well, so that's more positive to think about than that we have also been fully in two years of this pandemic now. We are, we, other podcasts have just been exploding (laughs) around us, just popping unexpectedly. (laughs) The feed just suddenly stops updating, but not ours. (laughs) We are nowhere near popular. We just keep going and going. But our listeners are the most discerning people with the best taste, even as we continue to insult their movies um, that they ask us to watch on this podcast. We do love you, Raimi. Um. (laughs) The fact that we are an entirely pandemic-based podcast, no wonder we're slowly losing our sanity with every passing episode. And... um, (laughs) Yeah. But with that, should we go ahead and rate this movie? Sure. 
I'll give it, Let's do uh, it two and a half out of five uh, jawbones lodged in someone's <laughs> forehead. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to use. Oh, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I'm going to give it three out of five teenagers who feel personally responsible for tragedy in the state of the world, um, because that's how our weird society teaches us to cope with things. And it's probably not very healthy, even though it is normal. I love you, teenagers. I just really wish that the world was better for you right now. And that's why this movie made me feel such a sick, hollow pit of emptiness inside. But I would be happy to be the lady laying on the grave dirt with you uh, in your hour of need. I will give it two blood-soaked shoes out of five, aka one pair of blood-soaked shoes out of five. Because I I am self-aware enough to realize that though this wasn't my cup of tea by any means, it had some interesting points and it is an interesting rumination on just like what being a teenager is probably like right now. And so for that, I I felt like it had to get at least two stars, but also it made me very sad and it was very stressful. And um, it is times like these when I remember that my, uh, despite only being 25, my maternal instinct is so high that I see these teenagers and I'm like, I can save them. Oh my God. Get me, get me into the screen. I can save them. (laughs) And that's that. Sadie just wants to lie down next to the gravestone with uh, (laughs) any despondent teen. Lying on on gravestones this weekend. (laughs) Yeah. We'll just pick random ones. Um, that'll be our pop-up, our first in-person podcast event. Jen, what illicit substance what illicit substance should people uh, pour into the punch bowl that is our podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, shrooms is the trend right now. And it could be more pleasant if you knew what was happening and you weren't driven to the point of madness and isolation and hunger in an isolated forest and had never gotten high before and did not know what rising on shrooms felt like and also might be possessed by a, like a spirit of a some the forest speaking through a French Canadian dead hunter in a cabin. That went on really long. Anyway, if you'd like to talk to us, we are on Twitter at YSSTOG or uh, as Samantha mentioned earlier, if you are 17 years or younger and want to send us hate mail, you can do so at yssTOGpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy listening to, to our bleak ruminations about the state of the world and would like to help us continue to be able to pay to stream all of these movies that we talk about for you every week, uh, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash yssTOG for the low, low price of $3 a month. Or we have some higher tiers um, where you can get cool rewards like Sadie making you rom-com playlists and uh, uh, you can join our discord and I forget what else we offer but you can even nominate a movie for us to watch like we did this one today spontaneous ahem ahem I would like to thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons who uh, we sincerely hope do not spontaneously combust anytime in the near future. Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, (laughs) Althea, Xenolon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, Liz, Brittany, Ace, Mara, Raimi, The Void, Hartleaf, Ave with Teeth, Hadas, Ryan, Maddie, and Abby. We love you all so very much. (laughs) 